Hey folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show, helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is episode 240, I think. Anyway, um, this is part number two of disaster mitigation and cleanup. Now, last week I had White Bear, a primitive living skills instructor out in Montana, interview and talk about the disaster cleanup and mitigation process. Well, we ended that interview letting you know that there's going to be a part two. There might be a part three coming up pretty soon, too. I think this is very important. I think it's real important to think about what are you going to do after a disaster. You know, your preps get you through the disaster. I mean, that's what it's all about. Survival helps us get through. And then what are you going to do afterwards? So that's real important because basically your life changes, right? And so you're going to have to get it started on a on a good note. So here we go. Part two with my interview with White Bear out in Montana on disaster cleanup and mitigation. Well, back again this week is White Bear for part number two of disaster mitigation and supplies. Welcome back. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be back. Yeah, I want to let everybody know, too, what we talked about last week and what we're talking about this week, you're putting it together in a video form, too, aren't you? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I'm going to do a, a video series uh, that I'm going to be starting in a couple weeks of uh, disaster mitigation supplies and ways you can uh, use these supplies to help clean up after disaster. Um, and I'm... I'm offered to do a, a video that's specifically for the Survival Champions Club that will be available only to Survival Champions Club members where it's not it's not a CD it's going to be a DVD video showing some of the supplies that you should get and where you can get them uh, that will be available specifically to your subscribers. Is it going to be in DVD format or is it a digital download? Well it, it'll be, yeah I just wanted to make people, I want people to understand it's not a CD, it's not an audio CD, it's going to be it'll be a digital download but it'll be like a you know a video format that people can will be able to download to your Survival Champions Club. Yeah good and for people who are kind of new to the show you'll notice that uh, when you listen to this podcast you're going to listen to a commercial free program uh, unlike some of the others out there so my show is supported strictly from the generosity of listeners. I must say, I have a lot of very generous listeners, and I appreciate that. So uh, I'll probably, when I record the conclusion of this, I'll let people know how to find the digital download, how much it's going to be, and, and where to find it. Okay, sounds good. So, yeah, thank you, pretty much. So last week we, we talked about disaster um, supplies cleanup and supplies we got a little bit into it i'm sure there's a whole lot more you want to talk about yeah we did we talked about some of the tools and cleanup supplies that that people uh should keep on hand some of the basics and i'm sure there's going to be you know people that have their own specific things they want to add this is not something that's set in stone this is kind of a subjective topic where uh, i give you give people some ideas that they didn't think they didn't think about that that they should have and things that stuff for each member of their family and then you can you can make your kit fit however you need it because your your geographic location may require some different things than another person's you know you're down in Texas where it's very arid and dry so you may require some things that I don't require up here in the northwest uh, and vice versa so you know this is just kind of a a basic synopsis of what you should have uh, as a base core for your 
tools, cleanup supplies, disaster mitigation supplies, and things of that nature. Why don't you first talk about why is it important to have good disaster cleanup supplies? You know, I hear so much about how to get through a disaster, but, but why the cleanup phase of it? Well, you know, you may be uh, in an area that has a disaster, say a tornado or a hurricane, where your house is damaged, but it's not destroyed. But maybe the neighbor next door or two or three doors down, their house was completely destroyed. And I, I, I want to I say this to any listeners that may have children. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about some things, uh, specifically, uh, you know, deceased bodies and whatnot and some of this. So uh, if you don't want your children to, to be hearing about that sort of thing, then maybe uh, you should have them leave the room uh, or not listen to it, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. Good warning. Good warning. That, yeah, that, that is a very real possibility. You may have deceased animals or deceased humans uh, that happen as an after effect of a, of a storm or a natural disaster or even a man-made disaster. Or terrorist attack or whatever. Or, yeah, or terrorist attack or whatever the case might be. And any of you that think it can't happen, let's, let's think about 9-11. It did happen. It can happen again. It's happened in other countries, you know, Britain, which is just across the pond, as they say. So if you think it can't happen again... Well, you're believing too much what the government says. It can happen. Well, it will happen again. It's not a matter of when. It's going something like that's going to happen again, and it might not even be on the scale of 9/11. It could be a series of smaller attacks that are more locally focused, that are smaller, um, and that are more coordinated, or, or even just as coordinated and more spread out. Well, see that, and that's uh, that's kind of what I've been hearing from some of the resources I, I speak with. Uh, on a regular basis, is that that's what they're gearing up for, is more localized attacks that are going to be more devastating than what happened during 9-11. Yeah. The, you mean, the, uh, you mean the, the combination of all of them will be more devastating? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it, from what I understand, I, I, I don't know firsthand with this. This is what I've heard from different resources around the country, is that it, it's going to be a coordinated effort to take out smaller targets across the country that they say will be more devastating than what happened during 9-11. Yeah, interesting. Woo, that's chilling. Well, you know, I mean, you think about it. These these people that are doing this, they're not stupid. They have a purpose in mind. And anybody that thinks because they're in the Middle East and that, you know, because they're uh, not as advanced a country as we are, that maybe they're not as intelligent, you're wrong. They are very intelligent. Speak to some of the soldiers that are coming back from, from these wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Talk to them about what they've witnessed with some of the things that have happened over there. And I think you're going to find that most of these people, these jihadists and al-Qaeda and all this other stuff, they're very intelligent people. The, you know, the Internet is not only here in the United States. The Internet is World Wide Web. So they have Internet over there as well, and they can look up the same things you and I look up. Well, they're very intelligent people. They're very focused. They're very, very much on a mission because of their belief system, and they're very clever. And as, you know, as the old saying goes, you know, a terrorist only has to be right one time. He only has to succeed one time. And if he succeeds one out of a hundred, he's succeeded. We, trying to prevent the terrorist actions, we have to be right always. And that's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to be able to prevent everything. No. And if, if you think about it, you know, we in the United States, we hear people, I don't know, you do, I've heard people talk where, well, you know, 
uh, I'm better trained and I'm better this and I'm better prepared than they are over there. And I hear a lot of talk about what people are going to do. You don't hear talk from them. They just do. They just do. Yes. They don't talk about it. They do it. So you have to you have to understand the mindset. They're of a focused mindset, as you said. They have a specific mission in mind. They have been raised and trained and taught that we are the infidels, that we are, you know, this, that, and the other, and their mission is to take us out. Yeah, and they've been... They don't, they don't walk around talking with their buddies at the local tavern about what they're going to do to the Americans. They do it. And what's really scary is, you know, they've been taught that stuff since they were three or four years old. Oh, from the time they can understand the first words, they've been taught that, yes. So there's no changing them. So what we need to do is we need to prepare, and we also need to be ready to clean up after something happens. You know, hopefully you survive it. You're still going. You're still alive. You and your family are okay, and now you got to start doing some cleanup. So what should people have? This is part two. What should people have in the cleanup phase? Well, you know, we, t- we talked about the, the tools and the cleanup supplies um, last week, and I think people can reference that podcast if they haven't listened to it. Uh, we also talked about what they should have, at least one of for each member of the family. And the next thing that people should, should talk, you know, be, have on hand and be thinking about is disaster mitigation supplies. And uh, some of these things are, uh, for instance, sheets of plywood. And I don't recommend OSB. I recommend actual plywood. It's stronger and will stand up better to any projectiles that may be flying through the air, uh, board or whatever the case might be. And you should have enough sheets to cover all windows and doors, a minimum of a half-inch thick, but preferably three-quarter inch thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have screws to secure the plywood to the windows and doors, minimum two-and-a-half-inch length. They hold better. Uh, they should be exterior grade. And uh, the screws hold more securely than nails and are easier to remove after disaster, uh, if you try to pry nails out, you do a lot more damage to the trim work and maybe to the windows and whatnot. It's a very good point. Um, a cordless drill with two or three spare fully charged batteries to drive the screws and for uh, drilling holes if you need to. And one thing that people don't think a lot about are sandbags uh, that you can use to abate water from floods or to offer protection from flying projectiles as well. Yep. Now, those are just some basic mitigation supplies. I mean, uh, there's not a lot you can do to mitigate a disaster. If you know it's coming, like you've seen probably in, in many news reports, people putting plywood over windows and doors, you know, that's the kind of stuff. You should have basic things like that that will help uh, maybe keep your building from falling down or being destroyed or whatnot. Yeah, well, and but the thing is, is, okay, so you got those, you got, you got the supplies to clean up. Um, what else... You, you talked earlier about the need for cleaning up, but I'm sure you've been through this before. What do people, what's their typical mindset in a, in a, in a cleanup phase? Well, I, yeah, I have. I, I was actually down right after Katrina happened, um, uh, and I saw the devastation firsthand. And I'm going to tell you, it was about three or four days, a- I think it was about four days after it happened I was there, and people were still walking around looking like zombies that did not have a clue what to do. Um, they they were just completely um, vacant of any train of thought of where do I go or what do I do or, you know, where should I start? Because the devastation was so insurmountable at that point. 
that they I don't think they could wrap their mind around it. That's amazing. Um, it, it was absolutely. I mean, I could not believe. You know, I, I saw news reports before I'd been down there, but I could not believe the video did not show nearly. I would say maybe one tenth of what the actual destruction was down there. Well, they they, they didn't want to seeing all of it. Well, yeah, and you can't understand it until you're in it. Um, there were parts of, of Mississippi and New or- and Louisiana where they literally had um, curfews. They had National Guard out, and there was martial law enforced where you went into an area, and if you weren't out by sunset, you were in that area until the next morning. You did not go anywhere. I mean, they literally had armed guardsmen blocking the road off with their Humvees, and you didn't get in or out until the next morning if you weren't out before sunset. Right. Um, you know, people are not used to that kind of thing. They're, you know, you see it in movies and you go, oh, yeah, it's a movie. No. But when it happens in real life, it's a whole different mind-changing effect. And, and you know, people were trying to find stores where they could find food or they could find anything to clean up with. The stores were vacant. There was nothing. And a lot of the stores, it wasn't because people had stripped the shelves before the storm. It was because the storm had taken the supplies in the storm away. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. I mean, the storm wiped out the supplies, too. Exactly. And, you know, people people get so complacent because when, when you know, and the, and the news really has a lot to do with it because, you know, oh, major storm coming, be prepared. And people, and then it, it comes and it's, it's a real minor storm, a little tropical uh, depression that doesn't, it dumps a lot of rain, but doesn't really do a lot. People are like, oh, okay, here we go again. So it's the cry wolf effect. And when, when you cry wolf enough times, people don't tend to listen. So um, I think maybe Katrina woke a lot of people up in that area, but I think people are also under the false impression that since, you know, the uh, Department of the Army came in and reinforced the levees and, you know, did all this work that, oh, now we're, now we're safe. And I think they're back, they're lulled back into that sense of false security. Um, you know, th- these are things that you, if you live in an area that's below sea level, think about it, you're below sea level. What does that tell you? That means that the water in the ocean is higher than where you're living. So if the water raises higher because of a storm, guess what? No levee's going to stop it. It's going to come over and flood you again. So be living in a situation like that, I really think you need to be diligent with being prepared to try to mitigate uh, these disasters as much as possible or be prepared to clean up afterward. Well, good. And that's a good segue back into the cleanup phase. Yes. And... Um, you know, bleach. I talked about bleach last week. And why do we need bleach? Well, it's a disinfectant. Um, you're, if you have sewers back up, you're going to have fecal matter uh, and urine and, and things of that nature and other things that are in the sewer system that are going to back up into the water that's flooding the streets. What does that cause? Germs, bacteria, people getting ill. If anybody is caught in the storm and they get any cuts or abrasions or any kind of open sores or wounds on their body and they're in that water, guess what you have? You're going to have an infection. So you need things to try to abate that as much as possible. And bleach is a great disinfectant, not only for cleaning up from, uh, let's say, dead bodies, which could be animals, rodents, humans, whatever the case might be, or if you need to, to make drinking water potable so you can drink it. Uh, there isn't going to be any fresh water because, as we know with Katrina, they didn't have water for, for months after that storm happened, the water yeah. was off. <clears throat> That's true. And, you know, you're talking about bleach. The great thing about bleach is, is, is in terms of prepping, it's cheap to buy. 
Yeah, it's very cheap to buy. That's why I said people should get a minimum of 10 gallons. I mean, um, you know, you you can go to the dollar store. I don't recommend buying any preps at the dollar store, but things like bleach, it's pretty much the same. Uh, hyposodium chloride 6.0 is a standard bleach, and you can find it even at the dollar store. So $10, you have 10 gallons, and trust me, if you're in a major disaster, you can go through 10 gallons in no time. That's oh, yeah, insane. you can go through it very fast. Yes, you can. White vinegar, if you have mold. White vinegar is the only thing. Bleach does not kill mold. White vinegar is the only thing that neutralizes mold. I know people have been taught that for years and years and years, but bleach does not kill mold. Vinegar neutralizes mold. Okay. I have to say I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you, you you know, let's say the water recedes and now you have wet, sodden, drywall and you need to make the area uh, livable temporarily or wherever you're staying temporary you might have mold starting to grow so a spray bottle with with vinegar with a a mixture of one-to-one water and vinegar sprayed on the mold will neutralize the mold because you don't want to be ingesting mold spores because that's a whole nother uh, problem you get into if you start ingesting mold or, or touch mold and it gets into your your eyes or your mucus glands or ingest into your lungs yeah um, You're in so, tough shape if that happens. Exactly. And, and there's a story um, where my mom lives. There's a guy that lives in a nearby town. They bought an old farmhouse. This is a true story. Bought an old farmhouse, and it had what's a stone foundation. And he went down and started, you know, they were going to renovate this house because it had been empty for a while. And he went down and started scrubbing on the stone and was cleaning it all up. What he didn't know is he got into black mold. Within six weeks, six weeks, he was dead from the black mold spores he ingested. Oh, wow. Yes, true story. It did happen. You can look it up. It's on the Internet. Um, so, it, and I found out about it from talking to my mom. She told me because it was on the news, on the local news about it. You know, here's a, here's a, young, a, a young father. Uh, I think he had two kids, if I remember correctly. Two young kids, his wife, and within six weeks of buying this house, he's dead from black mold. Oh. So it, it does happen. I mean, it, it can happen, and it's nothing to play with. And people go, well, that's not black mold. That's, it doesn't matter. You don't want to ingest mold spores. It, you know, it's not a good thing. You don't, if, unless, you're, uh, unless you know specifically it's not black mold, don't mess with it. So how do you use the white vinegar to kill it? You spray the mold with it. You just put a spray bottle and spray it? Yes. Okay. Yes, and it will, it, you'll see it turn white. And that's because it's neutralizing the mold. Okay, good. I'm going to make sure I add some white vinegar, plenty of it. Yes. Uh, I talked about the contractor-grade trash bags. Why contractor-grade? Well, the, the, the four mil thick, they're heavy duty. You're going to have debris to pick up. It could be, again, uh, you know, deceased bodies, whether it's animals, rodents, humans. Uh, you might need to, you know, dispose of them. So you're going to have to, you know, either wrap them in the visqueen that I talked about, if they're big, or put them in, in the uh, trash bag so that, you know, you can get that away to an area where then someone can come and pick that up and dispose of it properly. Um, you don't want to have those things laying around because rotting bodies can cause all kinds of diseases and infections that you don't even want to mess with. Yeah, and I've talked um, about those 55-gallon contractor-grade uh, cleanup bags. I've talked about that for years on this show. You can go to any Lowe's or Home Depot and pick them up. 
Yeah, yeah, you can, I mean, you can pick them up at Walmart, you can pick them up, you know, just about any place that carries trash bags, you can get the contractor grade trash bags. So, uh, that's not something to skimp on. You know, it's, it's, this stuff is all very minimal to buy in price, but it's worth its weight in gold when you need it. And those, you know, the white bear, those, those contractor grade bags are good for other things besides just cleaning up after a disaster as well. Oh, I, yeah, I've taught people how to make uh, tent shelters out of them, uh, you know, how to use them as a blanket. You fill them with, with leaves or, or pine boughs, and you cover yourself with them. I mean, there's all different uses for those. So you can use it as a rain poncho. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all there's so many different uses. They're so versatile, yet they take up so, so much space, especially if you have, like, a, a bug-out bag. Uh, you, you, you know, you can carry three or four, and I've set many people up where they, I've put three or four in their bag, and they're like, oh, I didn't know, you know I could carry that many. And you have two for shelter and two for you know covering or whatever else you need them for. Yeah, four of those bags, you can roll them up real tight, and they barely take up any room. Exactly, exactly. So they're, they're you know, indispensable to have. Okay, good. Uh, you know, I talked about the blue shop towels. And, you know, I've had people say, well, why don't I just buy, you know, like the, the red uh, mechanics-type towels? Well, okay, you buy those. And most people, they they see those and they don't want to throw them away. They want to reuse them. But if you have to clean up some, some pretty nasty messes, you're not going to want to keep those around. The blue shop towels, you wipe up, you throw them away. They're heavier duty than paper towels, so they, they last longer. And, you know, you, you don't have a problem throwing those away. They're, you know, cheaper. The other ones you might want to wash and reuse. Maybe you shouldn't because of what you had to clean up with them. Yeah. Uh, the quart and gallon size Ziploc freezer bags. What are those for? Any number of uses of, you know, you might have valuables that you want, you need to seal, and, and you can put them in those and seal them. Are they completely watertight? Not always, but it's better than not having them in anything. And if you double or triple them up, that's going to be a lot more watertight than not having anything at all. Freezer bags have all kinds of uses. I, they're not completely watertight. But they're pretty good. I mean, I've I've put my iPhone into a freezer bag and sealed it up and kept it in a coat pocket, a raincoat. And I got I was at a football game and it was pouring rain. And I it, in fact, the rain was even starting to soak in through the coat. But my iPhone in the freezer bag was fine. Exactly. And I and I stress the freezer bags. Don't get the regular ones. Right. Because the freezer bags are thicker wall. They're heavy. The seams are, are sealed better. They last longer. And don't don't buy those at, at the dollar store. Buy good quality brand freezer bags. Yeah, the regular bags are too flimsy. Yeah, they are. And I've had people buy. You know, I've seen people that have come out on some of my courses and they've brought the uh, the dollar store you know specials, and they just <clears throat> they don't last. You know, and and I show them how to use it to collect water and, and different things of that nature. How they can. Um, pasteurize water with them and different you know there's all all different uses for them but the biggest thing is, is that you can you can store valuables in them and keep them somewhat watertight like i said if you double or triple up the bags and protect a lot of your valuables in the case of a hurricane or tornado or whatever the case might be absolutely uh zip ties zip tie heavy duty a minimum 12 inch long zip ties a minimum of 100 of them why 100 there are so many uses for zip ties you can have cordage if you want. A lot of people, well, you know, what about paracord? Yeah, you can throw 25 or 50 foot, foot, 25 or 50 foot of paracord in there, but zip ties are very quick and efficient, and, you know, if you lose them, you're not as worried. A lot of people buy, you know, I've seen people that buy the uh, 550 cord, and they're afraid to use it because, well, I might use it all up. <laughs> 
Okay, well then why do you have it if you're not going to use it? You know, zip ties, if you have to uh, put up a tarp for temporary shelter, you can zip tie it to uh, poles or whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, they're very fast and efficient. You can, you can, if you need to take something down, you can cut the zip ties very easily and take them down. So zip ties come in very handy for a multitude of uses. Well, another thing good about zip ties that I like is, you know, when, when you buy them in 12 inch lengths, they're already pre-cut. You don't have to worry about cutting them because sometimes maybe all you need is 12 inches. And if you got this 50 foot string of paracord, you might not want to cut it. A zip tie will work just as well. Exactly, and you can put two together, so you have two foot of zip tie now. Exactly. Put three together, or however many you need to put together. So a minimum, you know, if you go any less than 12 inches, you might have to use a whole bunch of them, where with 12 inches you might only need two or three, and if you have 100 of them, well, you got, you know, multiple that you can use. Good point. And they they do have the ones now that I've seen that have a little tab so you can unzip them and reuse them. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. So though you know you can look they they generally sell them in the electrical supply area like at your your major uh, home improvement stores and I just bought purchased a bunch of those uh, to try out they seem to work very well they hold well and then I can unzip them so I don't have to break them so I can reuse them very neat yep uh, duct tape and I, I I said you know last week the Gorilla brand I recommend the Gorilla brand because it holds better than just about every other kind of duct tape out there. Uh, even the military grade duct tape would be good. It, it's pretty compatible with Gorilla Brand, but that Gorilla is readily available. You don't have to go to an Army surplus store to get it. You can get it at, you know, Walmart, uh, Home, Home Depot, Lowe's, any of the, the major retailers carry Gorilla Brand duct tape. Um, and you should have a minimum of five rolls of that because trust me, you will go through a lot of duct tape for different things, uh, in cleaning up after disaster. Okay. Uh, the heavy-duty poly tarps, uh, two 8x10s. The 8x10s could be used as ground sheets if, if, you know, the ground is muddy or wet and you need to sit down or lay down or whatever. Um, you lay a small 8x10 out, you could lay on it. And then uh, you should have a minimum of two of those and two 20x40. Why 20x40? Well, what if half your roof's missing? You might need to cover your roof. Oh. Or, or what if you need to cover, make a temporary shelter? 20 foot by 40 foot make you a nice shelter for you and your family to stay in in the case that it's wet or sunny and you need to stay out of the sun or the rain. Okay, good. You might have a wall that caved in. You could cover a 20 by 40, you should be able to cover a wall. I mean, you know, there's any number of different things that a 20 by 40 tarp could could be used for. Uh, Did you say patching up windows for a hurricane? Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. Um, six mil visqueen, uh, a one twenty foot by one hundred foot roll, and you can get the, you know, you can you can buy it at Amazon, uh, you can buy it through Bob's Amazon store, you could buy it at local home improvement store. It's not, you know, it's they're like thirty to fifty bucks for a roll of it, and it, I mean, twenty foot by hundred foot. There's a multitude of uses that. You could use that for. Hey, a lot of what we're talking about, you can buy on Amazon. And as I mention all the time, if you're going to buy in on Amazon, uh, please go to todayssurvival.com and use my Amazon store. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, might as well benefit you as well as benefit the uh, the person buying the stuff. Somebody once emailed me, by the way, I don't want to get off topic, but they emailed me. They, they thought it was actually more expensive to do that. No, it's not. It's the same Amazon prices. Yeah, I, I've checked it out. It's There's no difference. Nope. It doesn't cost anymore. Okay, well, keep going on the supplies. Um, industrial size dish detergent, which, uh, again, you could buy them at uh, the big bottles at, like, Costco or Sam's Club. And I recommend Dawn. And the reason I recommend Dawn is, number one, Dawn is the best if you get into any oil or grease. It is the best for removing oil and grease. Um, when I work on my vehicle, after I don't use the... the uh, 
that orange hand cleaner or any of that kind of stuff, I use Dawn, and it takes the oil and grease off spectacularly, no problem. My hands are, you know, are, are as clean as before I started working. Um, it's also environmentally friendly. It's friendly. You can wash pets with it. It doesn't harm pets at all. Uh, that's what they used on the animals that they cleaned up after her after uh, the BP oil spill. Yep, I saw that. Um, yeah, it's great stuff. It's it's the most mild yet best oil abating detergent out there that I found. <laughs> and yeah. and folks, Dawn is not paying us for this little commercial either. <laughs> no, no, I get I get no no revenue from this or anything. This is what I have tested and used, and I find to be the best. That's why I recommend it. And it's interesting that you recommend, Don, because I recommend it too. And I'll also say, let me add this, the original formula of Don, because now it comes in different forms. Yeah, I, I wouldn't get any of the, the scented or flowery smelling stuff. I would just get the regular blue original formula Dawn, right? Uh, which you can get at a Costco or Sam's Club, a minimum of one case of it, because you're, you're if you are in any kind of situation like what happened in the Gulf, you're going to have a lot of oil and, and whatnot to clean up. And, again, if you have to clean up animal, like say an animal gets wounded in a hurricane or a tornado, and they have, you can actually scrub the wound with Dawn. It won't hurt them. And clean up the wound before you bandage it up. It, it'll work just fine. Um, the next thing we talk about, baby wipes. They have a multitude of uses. Um, they're better than toilet paper for cleaning up. They, they, they will clean you up better when you, if you have to go to the bathroom. Toilet paper can get wet and soggy, and then it's useless. Um, you can also kind of wash up with it. You might not have water, or you might not have potable water to clean up with. Um, so baby wipes have a multitude of uses. I mean, if, if they can clean up your baby's bottom when changing a diaper, I think they can clean yours up and clean you up uh, in, a, in an emergency situation. And, and let me let me add to that, because you kind of got me chuckling there a little bit. <laughs> Any of us who have raised kids, we know that some pretty nasty stuff can come out of a baby's bottom. Absolutely. <laughs> and I've seen some pretty gnarly diapers in my time. Yeah. And if it'll clean up that stuff, uh, they're just good all-purpose cleaners. <laughs> exactly. For, for a temporary very uh, hygienic, clean. Yeah, they will work. I mean, people use them on camping trips, and you know, I mean, they're they're just a great thing to have. And uh, I think, to, for me personally, the Huggies Unscented are the best ones that work the best. They, really? Okay. Yeah, they they hold together the best. Uh, some of the wipes, uh, when you use them, they they tend to rip. But I found Huggies do not rip when I use them. Um, I didn't know that. I'll try those. Yeah, I've used them since I had little kids, which was back in the 80s. So I've been using them for a long time. Uh, some kind of disinfecting way. Um, I, I'm not a big proponent of, of the quote-unquote antibacterial disinfectant type stuff uh, because they have found that actually using that kind of stuff um, kills the good bacteria that's on your skin. But in an emergency situation... Uh, they're good to disinfect. Like, you know, if you had to f- make an area to prepare food, let's say, you want to take a wipe and make sure that there's no, uh, you know, wa- bad water that got on there or maybe fecal matter or any kind of uh, airborne pathogens that have landed on that surface. So a disinfectant wipe would clean that up so you could maybe prepare food or, or whatever the case might be. Good, good. Uh, alcohol, one case minimum. Now, now uh, their alcohol comes... Uh, in many different uh, mixtures. They have a 50-50, a 70-30, and now they have some that comes in 91 to 99%. And I always get the 91, minimum 91%. I don't do the 50-50 uh, alcohol. Uh, it's not To me, it's not strong enough for what I want to use. I, I use it for cleaning up stuff. Uh, you can use it for disinfecting stuff. You can uh, 
Uh, you can use it as as uh, uh, for having if you don't have uh, no you don't have electricity, let's say, and you need to have some kind of light. You could take uh, some paper like one of those blue shop towels and turn it like a wick, real tight. Dip it in some alcohol and light it. And you can have a light source uh, that will give you a little incandescent light. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a good use for shop towels. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, a tin can, a little bit of alcohol, a little paper wick, and you light it, you can, you know, you can have uh, like a little makeshift uh, oil lamp, so to speak. Another good reason for having uh, big case alcohol. Right, and, and we don't mean we don't mean alcoholic beverages. No, no, I'm talking rubbing alcohol, <laughs> and the 91 percent burns burns a little better, a little hotter. Uh, than the 50-50 or the 70-30. And you can even get the, you know, like the, the hand sanitizer, which is, uh, the, you know, the alcohol in the, the gelatin suspension. And you can use that as, uh, uh, like the sterno, little sterno cans. Well, you could put some of that in a can and light it and have a little wick and you can make a little oil lamp that way. You could also use it for, if you wanted to, cleaning up things and whatnot. Yeah. What do you think of sterno? Uh, sterno's a good thing to have. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, well, the ones alcohol and sterno both they they burn very very hot and very very clear. So a lot of times you don't see the flame uh, because it's a very a very uh, blue flame that is almost unseeable to the naked eye. So you have to be careful with that. But sterno is good if you needed to heat up some food or uh, if you wanted to use it as uh, you know a little a bit of a light source, which it wouldn't give off a whole lot of light. But you know, or maybe a little bit of heat, you could do that. But you have to be very careful that you don't uh, that you don't get burned, or that your children, if you have kids, that they don't get burned. Right. Okay. Um, then we talked about what you should have for each one of your family members. Uh, the, disp- the disposable chemical protection coveralls. Uh, I, like I said, Kapler makes one that's uh, um, very good, and they're about a hundred dollars a piece. But again, how much is your family's life worth? Um, you know, rubber chemical resistant elbow length gloves. Um, N95 level particulate respirator masks. They, they look like the little hospital masks, but they, they help uh, abate uh, sodium chloride and, and any kind of debris that could get in when you're cleaning up after a disaster. You might not need a full respirator mask, but you don't want a bunch of dust from uh, building debris and whatnot that you might be cleaning up getting into your lungs either because that can cause respiratory problems. Right, that's right. Um, then the next thing would be a, a, a toxic dust respirator, and MSA makes one uh, that I, I've been using. I've tested out, and I've been using it. works very well. Uh, it's the model 817-664, and you can get those at any of the big box uh, home improvement stores. You can get it on Amazon, uh, so you can buy it online if you want. Um, and you should have, each one of these you should have for, for each one of the members of your family. You should have this stuff. A toxic dust respirator. Yes, toxic dust respirator, yes, and, and the, the N95s, the rubber gloves, the mm-hmm. disposable chemical suit, um, chemical-resistant knee-high rubber boots. Um, those will work because if you have to walk through, you know, thigh-high, not thigh-high, but uh, ankle-high or mid-calf-high water, those boots would be great. Um, the, ne- the, be- the step up from that would be to have rubber chest waders, and preferably rubber over the neoprene because they're more uh, impervious to chemicals and whatnot. Oh, at the minimum, it should be hip waders. I was going to ask you about that because a lot of fishermen and, and duck hunters and whatnot have waders. Is that a good substitute? 
Yeah, I mean, because a lot of the rubber chest waders, uh, they're made with the same rubber that is chemically chemically resistant as the as the knee boots. So, yeah, rubber over neoprene definitely, because neoprene can be broken down by by certain chemicals, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that wouldn't be good. All of a sudden, you have a hole in your wader, and these chemicals are getting into your skin. It okay. doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, and, and and a lot of guys are now buying the neoprene, so you can find like rubber chest waders at maybe like secondhand stores or uh, Things you know, things of that nature, pawn shops and whatnot. So you can probably get them pretty inexpensively, uh, and to have them for for the you know all your family is a, an invaluable piece of equipment. Okay. Uh, we talked about, and I'm sure people are going to you know make a lot of comments about the personal dosimeter badges, which are the radiation level badges. Uh, you know, you don't know when radiation from, uh, a, a, let's say, an earthquake or a, a man-made disaster, there could be radiation in the air. I think people should be aware of the kind of radiation they're being exposed to, and those badges, are, they're very small. They're about the size of a credit card. They have a little clip you clip on your lapel or outside of your jacket or shirt or whatever, and it will tell you what the radiation level is in the air around you. And that may, that may make your decision as far as, am I going to stay here or am I going to leave? Good point. Yeah. Um, full coverage eye goggles. Um, and I'm not talking about just safety glasses, the, the cool-looking sunglass styles. I'm talking about the ones that cover and seal your eyes completely. And basically you're talking about you're talking about the ones that completely cover and seal your eye sockets, and they even come all the way up to, to the bridge of your nose. Yeah, yeah. They, they will fit over eyeglasses. Um, you know, you want something that's going to seal out any harmful vapors or chemicals that are in the air that could affect your eyes. Uh, you know, any like any of the recent uh, train wrecks that we've had that they've you know released chemicals or they've had fires that releases uh, vapor into the air that could cause people to have uh, lose eyesight or things of that nature. I mean, you want to protect your eyes from that stuff and just. Regular safety glasses won't do that. You need some kind of goggle that will cover and seal your eyes completely. And they've got to be fairly airtight. Yeah, yeah. You could even use something like a swim mask. I mean, you know, that that's something that could be used. Oh, okay, you're right. That's right. Yeah, you could use a – or how about a diver's mask? A, a, a diver's mask or even the, the swimmer's goggles that they use, uh, like the Olympic swimmers use. Yep. Those will seal around your eyes. Something that will seal off your eyes so that you can see, but yet the, the chemicals and vapors can't get into your eyes. Okay, that's good. And then uh, a hard hat for each member of the family because you might be, uh, you know, you might have a two-story house or the neighbor might have a two-story house. And let's say part of the house got damaged, you go outside, you could have, uh, you know, lumber falling on you or drywall or, you know, brick or whatever the case might be. And you want to protect your head uh, because that could be uh, a widow maker right there. Good, yeah, it's true. Um, hard hats, I mean, that's something you're talking about that now, and it's I got I gotta say that's something I I don't have. I I need to I need to get those pretty quick because that's a that's an excellent idea. Yeah, I mean they're inexpensive enough that you could keep them in a closet or you know keep them close to your uh, your bug out bag, you know, in a, in a closet centrally located, and you know you just grab it. And throw it on, and out the door you go. And See, folks, um, this is why you need to listen to podcasts like this because, you know, here's me. Sometimes I'm going to construction sites selling my stuff when I uh, do my full-time job. And, you know, the guys at the construction sites all have hard hats, and they hand me one when I go out there. And, you know, I just didn't even think about keeping hard hats here at home for my family and I. Yeah, I mean, you you know, 
there have been disasters down that have happened along the coast of Texas and whatnot, and, and you know, tornadoes are not unheard of, earthquakes are not unheard of, and you know, there could be debris overhead that's hanging by a thread, and you might just be the unlucky person that walks underneath when it lets loose, and next thing you know, you're impaled with who knows what, or you're knocked unconscious, or your skull is split open because you didn't have something to protect your head. In fact, I think I know some contractors that I've done business with that might have some used ones that they'll unload pretty cheap. Yeah, a word of caution, though. You have to be aware of used ones. Make sure that there aren't any uh, hard, uh, indelible scratches in them because that will weaken the safety of them. That's true. Uh, I mean, if it's just like a, a minor scuff mark, maybe they, they bumped their head on a on a board or something and scuffed the, the, the finish. That's one thing. But if it's got a deep uh, scratch or anything like that, you need to beware because that could crack very easily and maybe not protect your head. Uh, you know, you can go to you can go to Home Depot and Lowe's again. And they're not that not that expensive. You know, ten fifteen bucks you can buy one, um, and it's brand new. Um, but yeah, if you have some contractors that have extras that aren't damaged um, that look in good condition, yeah, maybe they give you one or two, and uh, or in your case three because you have three people in your family. And right, um, you know, it's a, it's an inexpensive form of of insurance, and and really. You know, it kind of kills me because I talk to people, like I said, to these seminars I do, and they, they have home insurance. They have car insurance. They have uh, a storage unit with insurance on their storage unit. They have insurance for medical. They have insurance for when they die. Okay, all of these things are cheap insurance to keep you alive. Yep. Good. That's there, the best way to put it. And there, There's no monthly premiums. There's no, you know, big lump sum payments at the end of however long. You buy it, it's yours, you have it, it protects your life when you need it. They're, they're one-time one time expenditures. Yes, and, you know, you may not need that hard hat for 20 years, but when you do, it's there and you have it. Good point. So, it, you know, and over, let's say, let's say you didn't need it for 20 years. What's $15 over 20 years? <laughs> Minimal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it's so small. It's not even worth talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you know it's so minute in what it what it will pay back when you need it. That yeah, it's not even it's not even worth trying to calculate. <laughs> you know, don't go to don't go to the vending machine and and buy a, a Coke once a month. You know. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't be drinking it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's people out there that'll go to Starbucks and spend. They'll go two or three times a day and spend seven dollars uh, per coffee that's 21 dollars for that 21 dollars you can you can buy a hard hat and they're the ones that uh, are complaining they don't have enough money to prep exactly absolutely you are 100 percent correct about that <laughs> yeah it's all a lifestyle I, i've said it for so long it's a lifestyle change but it's a good one well you know it, once you get into doing it and you 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 tr- you practice and you train. Uh, we talked about this before. When we were in elementary school and junior high and high school, what did we have randomly that happened when we had to file and go outside? Fire drills and tornado drills. Exactly. Now, we did this all through school because it was required, and it was, it was actually excellent training yep. to do. But do you do it in your job now? No. Nope. Do, you know, do you know anybody that works in any corporate office that they do it now? Unfortunately, not. Okay. I'll, I, I, I bet you anything. I could walk into some multi-high-rise corporate building, and I could pull 
20 people, and my guess is maybe, maybe, and I'm going to be generous here, five out of those 20 might know the emergency escape route of that building. And that's that's shocking. That's terrible because... I don't care if, if you spend a long time in a building, if you work there, if you're going to school there, whatever, what have you, you need to know the escape routes. That's foolish not to know it. Exactly, because, you know, anything can happen at any time. And, and people get into this self-complacency mindset that, oh, it'll never happen to me. And, I, and I, I hear that so many times. Oh, that'll never happen to me. It's happened to the other guy, but it'll never happen to me. Uh, let's see. A whole bunch of people in a movie theater in Colorado never thought it would happen to them. Um, A bunch of school children and teachers in Connecticut never thought it would happen to them. Uh, Millions of people who lived in the New Orleans, Louisiana area never thought it would happen to them. And the list just keeps on going. How many people in the World Trade Center buildings ever thought it would happen to them? Uh, they never thought it would happen to them either, no. So Or the Pentagon. Or the Pentagon. You know, and, and the thing is, or even the people that were riding on those airplanes. Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, so yeah, definitely know where the exits are. That's critical. I, I bet you there are people who have died because they couldn't find the exit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've traveled on planes, trains, and buses. And it's it's just amazing. I I get on these types of mass transit, and I look at the people on them. And now I have not flown since nine eleven, and I will, I will I have no reason to fly again. I would rather drive myself. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it, besides the fact of of what happened with the terrorist attacks. I think the the whole TSA thing has gotten way out of hand, and and that's a whole other subject. But anyways. When I, when I used to fly, I would get on planes and I would look at people or I'd get on buses and i look at people. they bury their heads in a book or their computer or their phone and they're oblivious to the people around them, what's happening outside around them, how the driver is driving or how the pilot is flying. They, they just completely block all of that out and have no idea what is going on around them. And then when something happens... You hear him say, I don't know what happened. Because you weren't paying attention. You buried your head in the sand, proverbially, and ignored it. So you have no one to blame but yourself. It's shocking. It's shocking how many people are so oblivious. Yeah. I got on a bus one time, and you know they have those emergency escape hatches on the side like they do on planes. Yeah. And the, the emergency escape hatch lever was broken. So one of their te- their mechanics or technicians or whatever they're called, you know what they did? They put a piece of aluminum channel on there and screwed that shut. <laughs> now, how is that supposed to open an emergency? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, and and I, I after I was on I was on the bus and I was traveling. And I noticed it. I called the the bus company from the bus on my cell phone and asked them. They had no clue that that had taken place. They didn't even know. Where's the checks and balances on this stuff? And then they're liable. They're liable if something happens and people can't get out. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, here they take it. Uh, it was about a one inch by one inch L channel, aluminum L channel. And I mean, there was probably at least 20 screws into the window and 20 screws into the into the bottom part. Wow. This thing. Yeah. That's um, amazing. You know, yeah. 
So there's that emergency hatch sealed shut, basically, in essence. So where's the accountability? And nobody had noticed this before. How? How? I mean, I look at these things when you know, no matter where I go. When I go into town, I go into stores. I look at the people. I look at you know. I'm always looking to see what's going on because you don't know who's in there, what they're going to do. We don't have a clue anymore. And see, what you're talking about is just basic situational awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately. Not a lot of people are situationally aware. Not even, not even in a basic form. Right, right. And and people, you know, that's that leads right into the next topic, which is safety concerns. A lot of people don't think about safety concerns. They just, you know, walk around with their head down, glued to their phone or whatever, their iPads or tablets or whatever they have, and they just don't pay attention. And it's just really. You know, and, and safety concerns is something you need to be ever presently aware of. Well, let me give some examples of that. Um, let me throw some examples in that. This isn't really, it's a little bit off topic as far as disaster supplies, but it, it still is a, a good topic to discuss. I try very hard not to answer my cell phone anymore when I'm in a public place. And that also means not texting or checking Facebook or watching YouTube when I'm in a public place. I want my attention to be focused on the public. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that also goes for driving. The other thing is whenever I'm in a vulnerable place, like a a place that could potentially be a hazard, gas stations at night, for example, get off your phone when you're pumping gas. I I see women do this all the time. Uh, even if it's a well-lit gas station, I don't care. They're standing there yakking on their cell phone and gassing up. And I'm not just picking on women, but the last two incidents I've seen, it's been women that have been doing that. Uh-huh. You know, um, when you're in public, focus on the public around you and the event that you're at or whatever. Get off distractions. Get off phones and iPads and all that other stuff that takes your attention away. Well, you know, I, I heard this phrase, and I can't recall who said it, but I heard it quite a while back. And it, it the, the person who said it, uh, it was a gentleman, but I can't, I can't think off the top of my head who it was. He said, we've become disconnected from our fellow man, but we cannot become disconnected from our technology. Wow, that's profound. It, it really, isn't it? I mean, it really, it, it's really true. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember the days when you didn't get a phone call till you went home, and you had to stand with a cord attached to the handset and stand there and talk to somebody. Or if you were lucky enough to have a, a tabletop model, you could maybe sit in a chair and talk to somebody until they came out with the twenty-five foot cords. Where now you have them stretched clear across from the kitchen wall into the living room because you want to sit down and talk. You know, what happened to those days? When is it that we became so plugged in? that we can't become unplugged. I remember that too. You know, I remember as a young sales guy in the uh, mid to late 80s, and instead of carrying around a cell phone in my pocket, I carry around three rolls of quarters, and about every two or three hours, I'd find a pay phone and stop and make my phone calls. (laughs) You know? Um, and that's if I could find a pay phone. Sometimes it just had to wait. Or sometimes I'd have a customer nice enough if I would ask him before I left his office, hey, can I catch up on some phone calls? He'd, chase, he'd say sure, and he'd lead me over to an empty chair where he had a phone call, and he'd say stay as long as you want. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. and you're right. And in, in those days, you know, you didn't hear about you didn't hear about the the texting and driving accidents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you think about kids that are that are coming up today. They they will never know a time when there wasn't texting anti-texting laws. Uh, you know, and and you know when I see that, I'm like. Really, you know how is, how did this become mainstream? I, I don't get uh, it. Just doesn't make sense to me. But you know we've become so so tethered by our electronics, which is really funny because we used to be tethered by phone cords, and now we're tethered by electronics. That people don't know how to become untethered. And I, I've done some. I, I've had some private clients that I've gone to their houses, uh, you know, and and taken them off the grid, and. I'm not kidding you. The longest the one child could go was 17 minutes without absolutely coming unnerved because he, he couldn't he, he couldn't text, he couldn't Facebook, he couldn't you know he couldn't be on this on his game thing, and he couldn't do this. It's just was like, oh, what you know, what do I? Do? I mean, literally, he was like shaking and well, what do I? Do? It's like a, it's like a drug. It's like it's like you know people who drink uh, you know gallons of coffee a day. It, it's an addiction. And it's a sad addiction. It really is because people don't know what to do without that stuff anymore. Wow. That yeah, that's definitely the definition of of an addiction. That's you know, and maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot because here we're doing an internet podcast and people have to have internet access. And it's funny, I get emails from people that say that they listen to my show while they're working. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> hopefully their boss is not uh, putting them in trouble for doing that. Or people say that they're multitasking and they're working out listening to me. But, you know, let's just not get addicted to it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some good resources. Uh, I have to obviously used the internet for my business because I have a website. I have a, I have two YouTube pages, and yep. but I, you know, I haven't done any videos in a long time because I've been busy with other things. But um, you know, there are some good things that are out there, and there, you know, but I am not to the point where I have to be on the internet, you know, seven eight hours a day, every day of the week, you know, seeing what's going on. I, I get news from talking to other people face-to-face because, yeah. uh, you know, I enjoy talking to people. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm still connected with talking to people, although I have been, ha- I have had conversations with people that while I'm talking to them, they're sitting there on their, their uh, Samsungs or their iPhones and they're texting away or they're looking something up online or they're getting some kind of notification about this or that. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I've actually asked people, it's like, look, while we're having this conversation or this meeting, can you turn that off? And they look at me like, like I've just asked them to pull their heart out of their chest and give it to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, I I, I don't know. I I guess, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's becoming like the matrix. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, I'm looking forward to the video. I think this is a good stopping point. I'm looking forward to the video. And of course we don't want to give away everything. We've already given out a lot of good info. Um, so explain again to people, uh, you're going to be making a uh, video and then also talk about where they can find you on the web. Yeah, I'm going to do a video that's going to be exclusively for the Survival Champions Club, uh, for Bob's subscribers to that. And it'll be talking about a lot of things that we've talked about on the disaster mitigation and cleanup and showing some of the supplies and, and where you can get them and things of that nature. Um, and you can find me on my website at PLSS. LivingWild.com, 
And on my YouTube channels at youtube.com slash primitive living and youtube.com slash barefoot bushrat. Cool. I hope we got some people thinking uh, with this. I think we did. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've, I've got uh, a bunch of other resources that, that we can go through and talk about, uh, the safety concerns, health issues, government and personal responsibilities uh, prior to natural disaster. Uh, so there's, there's a lot more to cover. Well, let's, let's, let's do a part three on that. Okay. Let's do that. Let's, let's do a part three on that shortly in the next week or two. That sounds good. White Bear, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate that very much. This was good stuff. And as always, Bob, I enjoyed talking to you. Good luck. Keep prepping. Thanks. Well, many thanks for his time for a second week in a row. Again, check out his website, PLSS, that's Primitive Living Schools, Skills School, so PLSSLivingWild.com, or go to YouTube.com slash Primitive Living, or YouTube.com slash Barefoot Bushrat. We are going to do part three most likely next week. Uh, it might not be specifically on disaster cleanup and mitigation. We might go off into a couple of other good subjects for you. But once again, I just want to give him thanks, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that video. And you know, for those of you who are members of the Survival Champions Club, which means you subscribe to some of the premium podcasts that we put out once in a while here at the show that I do, and I get different guests talking about different things, pretty good stuff. There's another way to support my show without even spending any extra money. You can just go to my Amazon store next time you're going to buy something on Amazon. If you go to my Amazon store, you'll see a link. If you go to my page, go to www.todayssurvival.com. Go to my website, click the Amazon store page, and there's a link right there in that page. Do your Amazon shopping there, and Amazon helps me out. They give me a little bit of a commission. If you're going to spend the money anyway, it doesn't cost any extra money. At least spend it through my site. It'll help out the show. I don't have a bunch of sponsors and commercials on this show. I like to try to keep it as commercial-free as possible for you. Folks, thanks again for listening to yet another week. This was episode 239, by the way. I think I said 240 earlier. It's 239. Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you do what you can with what you have, where you are, in the words of Teddy Roosevelt. And thanks again. I'll catch you next week. Goodbye.